Well, good morning. Uh, how many of y'all brought a book? Amen. I brought the book. The book. Get your book out and turn or open your book to the book of Matthew, please. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. This period is, as part of Scripture is uh, most well known as the Sermon on the Mountain. This is just a little tiny part of it. Uh, but as you open your Bible there, I just want to talk frankly with you about where we're going with all of this. Two weeks ago, I preached on the book, and not just uh, the value of the Bible and the validity of the Bible, and there's great ways to preach messages about that, and there's tons of evidence that gives us reason to believe God's Word is God's Word and that we can trust it as God's Word and live through it, uh, His Word living through us, but mostly because we need to be in God's Word. Last week, I I talked about faith. and I, I talked a good deal about faith versus unbelief, because unbelief is something that plagues every single one of us. It is easy for us to to say that we believe. It's easy for us to to acknowledge in church and nod our head and give the brother Darren an amen when you hear instruction from God's word, but it's a whole nother matter to put those beliefs to the test and to live them. I think it's maybe the, one of the greatest struggles of the modern church and probably the church throughout all history or churches throughout all history that we hear these things, we believe these things, we don't necessarily live by these things. So maybe you're catching a theme. These are pretty basic things. But these, while they're basic, they are essential. They are foundational, not just to being a Christian, but as a Christian, they should be foundational to our life. We should be people who look to the book. We should be people who, when we put the key into the lock, instead of locking up the power of God and saying, I'm not going to believe, I'm just going to run back to what I've always done, we should turn and trust Him. Even when it's uncomfortable, because I'm going to tell you, it will be uncomfortable. Today, I want to talk about the subject of prayer, and this subject is so big that I'm just only going to be really be able to explain one verse, I think. Uh, there are some verses leading up to it we need to look at, uh, but, but where this is all really going is this, try to, to try to answer this question, what kind of church is Northwest Baptist Church going to be? Uh, it's, it's no longer any use for us to talk about what kind of church we are or what kind of church we were. But what kind of church are we going to be? As a, as a, I guess I'm a young pastor. I don't feel as young as I was. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of talk. I mean, if you, if you get into a 
church leadership studies. You talk about uh, church models and how to attract people. I mean, there's, I have already over a dozen books on how to grow a church, how to, how to, how to lead a church, all these different things. There's so much information that really points you to all these kind of things that end up being fads. And they're not bad, okay? I'm not going to say at all that they're bad. But let me tell you, a church, a church that's defined by the type of worship style and the way the building looks and all of that stuff is probably a church that really doesn't get what being a Christian is all about. And so my question, I'm, I'm hoping we can, all of us can get on board together and we can draw back to these most essential matters of our Christian walk and live them out. We, no matter what kind of worship style we have, we need to be people of the book. No matter uh, uh, what kind of uh, service, service structure we have and what it feels like when you come in here, we need to be people who trust God when he says he's going to do something and then live it out. And no matter uh, 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 how big our church is or what kind of outreach we have, we need to be people who pray. So I want us to talk about prayer. Let's look in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 5, but our main focus is going to be in verse 9. Jesus, of course, is preaching. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, you, he's talking to us, by the way, when thou prayest, enter thou into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray... Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. So after this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are our Father, and that that, may, that name carries true meaning especially for those of us who have believed. You are our Heavenly Father. You are not just some other Father. You are the Father of our life. You hold a place of preeminence in our life. You have a, a place of power. Lord, as we look at this passage, as we consider uh, these first words that Jesus has offered to us as, as words of a model prayer, Lord, help us to understand the implication of, of what comes first. And how it describes for us where the power in prayer is. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. My, my sermon title is The Power in Prayer. And if you notice, Jesus started with something specific. He said, I mean, he talked about how you should pray and where you should pray and your attitude toward prayer. And, and those are all important and I don't want to diminish those. But the focus this morning is the first words he gives us to repeat as parts of the model prayer. And we're not, these are not instructions to read this like a liturgy, okay, or repeat this like a liturgy. It is to be our attitude, what is to hold priority. And what is the first thing? Our Father which art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Where is God in this prayer? 
He's first. I have five points. And the first one is that God is first. He's not just first in prayer. He's to be first in our life. God is first. Why? Because God, okay? This is God we're talking about. Uh, This is the God of Psalms 24 where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything. He owns you and me. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? When we... When we go to God, we're going to the one who, whether we make him that or not in our lives, he is first. If you go to Revelation, how does Jesus describe himself when he he appears to John? He says, I'm Alpha and Omega. So he's, what does Alpha mean? What is he talking about? Alpha, what is Alpha? It's the first letter of the Greek alphabet, right? So that means he is what? First. (laughs) He is first. Not only is he first, he's last. Omega's the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So he's first and he is last. He is everything. And if you're so consumed with all the stuff in your life and there's very little room for God, then let me tell you, you've got all your priorities out of whack and you better consider who God is in your life. He made you. He made your parents. He made their parents. He made Adam and Eve. He made all that you are and all that you are, he loves. He sent his son to die for you. He, does, he not only is first, he deserves to stay first. God is first. Not only that, when we pray and, he, and, 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 and we pray to him, this, this being who is first in all things, We are led into the very existence, the presence of God. Can you imagine that? Being in God's physical presence. We we come to church and the Bible says that where one or two are gathered in my name, I am there with you. God is in our presence right now. But I, I think it's even a little step further than that. We must realize we have entered through prayer into the presence of a holy God. Imagine with me as we look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, what, what this, kind of, this picture paints for us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, look at what's being described and listen. Above it stood the seraphims, these angels. Each one had six wings with twain. He covered his face with twain he covered his feet and with twain he flew and one cried unto the another unto another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke and then i said isaiah speaking woe is me for i am undone Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a vivid picture that Isaiah is describing, a real experience that he had in his life where he entered into the throne room of God, and the the, the train of God filled the whole place. And, And there were these angels, and these angels were so powerful that when they worshiped God, the beams of the building shook. 
I mean, these are beings of tremendous power, yet they are in such, uh, they're in such awe of God's holiness. They're covering their face and they're covering their feet. And all that they have to say is, holy, holy, holy. Amen. We enter into this same presence of this God. I mean, this, this, this image of heaven, I don't think has changed. I think if we were to have an Isaiah 6 experience, this might be what, exactly what we see. This is the God we're going to. And in Hebrews 4.16, we were in Hebrews 4 a couple of weeks ago. 4.16, a couple of verses after the text we had a couple of weeks ago. Verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. I can't, I can't imagine that there's some other throne that, that the author of Hebrews is talking about here, except the throne and the throne room that is described in Isaiah 6. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. Listen, God's place is first. The, the place that he has in his throne room is obviously first. God is to be first in our life, and when we enter into his presence, that ought to be the attitude of our hearts, that he is first. Our, our first concern should not be with ourselves. Do you hear that? Our first concerns should not be with ourselves. And we are so concerned with ourselves, aren't we? Oh yeah, the price of gas is going back up. The, uh, the, the Astros are going to face the, probably the most fearsome team they've ever faced in reality. Today? I mean, this is an awful existence we're in right here. That we're in trouble. Well, I mean, y'all are, not me. We get concerned with ourselves. But listen, when we go to God in prayer, He is first. And we ought to be less concerned about ourselves and all concerned about Him. Our focus should be on Him. Psalms 24, that passage I read, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And then verse 3, I want to draw your attention back to that verse. He says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? It's talking about who... Who can approach God and be in His presence? I mean, I, I think it said in Hebrews 4.16 that we can do that. But I'm going I'm to twist that a little bit, okay? And this is not the proper interpretation of this verse. But let me tell you, who of us should put our place in His? None of us. Yet when we go to God, so many times we come with us first. Instead of Him. God is... To be first. I think it's uh, maybe, maybe that interpretation would be better described in, uh, in Job 38. And I'm not going to read that passage for you, but I would encourage you to go read through the book of Job first. And then when you get to chapter 38, boy, well, listen up. <laughs> because God goes to Job. Job who has this complaint against God. Job who's, who's he's trying not to charge God uh, wrongfully, but he, he, he feels misunderstood. He, under, he doesn't understand what he has done to receive the, 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 the uh, evil on his life. And he wants to stand before God and, and kind of 
uh, advocate for himself. And then God shows up in a whirlwind. You remember that? And, and God shows up and he says, hey, Job, were you there when I created everything? Hey, who are you, God, uh, Job? Because I'm God. Don't you forget who I am. Listen, when we come to God, we need to remember who he is Amen. and that he is to be first. Number two, God is not just to be first, but God is a holy God. Oh, man. Uh, I don't have enough lifetime here to unpack God's holiness. But we are going before a holy God. He is a holy God. Therefore, we should honor the name of God. God, by His very nature, is holy. Isaiah 6, we see what they, what they, what they cry out to him one to another uh, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, uh, preachers have said this before and I'm going to say it again. You know, there, those angels in his presence didn't choose any other attribute of God. And there's many characteristics they could, they could key on. Many things that are wonderful about God and tremendous that he is uh, the superlative in each of every one of them. His power, his justice, his righteousness, his love, his forgiveness. All of these things could they key on as the most important trait to, to worship him for. But instead of doing any of those, instead of saying, love, 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 you're a love, Lord of hosts. No, they said, holy, holy, holy. God, by his very nature, is holy. His name is holy. His name is holy whether you believe it or not. His name is holy whether you honor his name or not. The lack of your honoring the name of God does not alter who God is one tiny bit. God is a holy God. He is a holy God and we are to honor his name. Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He is the one who's worthy of honor. I'm going to be preaching about church membership in the next a few weeks, coming weeks. And we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians where it talks about how those we're all members of one body, and when one member is honored, the whole membership rejoices, and when one suffers, the whole membership suffers with them. Uh, uh, but the reality is, is God is the only one who, who, who is worthy of all honor. He's the only one. You might be sitting here uh, having grumbled all week long about how you didn't receive any recognition at work or, or, or you know, maybe, you know what? Uh, I unloaded the dishwasher and my wife didn't say thank you at all. Let me tell you, God is worthy of your honor. You don't, you're not worthy of any of it. And when you unload the dishwasher, do it to the glory of God. And that means without complaining, Okay. God is a holy God. We should honor the name of God. Not only that, it says we should hallow the name of God. Hallow. How many of, of y'all have used the word hallowed in your language this week? Come on, we don't have a lot of King James speakers in here? Okay. Well, let's talk about what hallowed means. That word means to literally to set apart as holy, to consider as holy, uh, to treat it as holy. That means... Uh, that means we need to show some reverence for God's name. 
You know, when we speak the name of God, there ought to be reverence. The, The Israelites, the Jews, the early Jews understood it, that there was something holy about the name of God. And Yahweh to them was the most uh, holy name of God in all the Old Testament. And uh, the early Jews regarded it as extremely sacred and to the point that they would not even pronounce it in fear of misusing it or defiling God's name. They hallowed the name of God. How are we doing with that today? Yeah, somebody said terrible. You, it'd be easy to go out in, into the, uh, into the uh, highways and byways here and go back to work and, and hopefully uh, not go home but, and hear how God's name is not revered or honored at all. Let me tell you, it's easy for Christians to fall into the same habits of not reverencing God's name. He, let me tell you, that, that the whole idea of reverencing God's name is really an idea of having an attitude towards God for our life. A view, you know, we, uh, we like to talk about worldview. Uh, I had a long con- conversation with my uh, oldest son this week about worldviews and, and how as he's going uh, to go up into the uh, schools and he's going to start going into higher levels of education, he's going to meet people who have different worldviews than him and his, uh, me and his mom. And, and, but but we talk about that idea of worldview. That worldview is how you see the world. That's how you answer questions about your life. That's how you make decisions about your life. Let me tell you, God's name ought to be holy to us. He ought to be so holy in our mind and in our worldview. I mean, it ought to, it ought to be at the very core of who we are. We're not doing it well. Jesus uh, sets out at the very front of us, the pri- uh, for us, the priority to revere the name of God. I said it already. God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone is worthy of honor. Listen again to how the, how the angels were singing to the Father in joyous wonder there in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I was uh, thinking about that passage, this Isaiah 6 passage, holy, holy, holy. And, and you know, there's, there's a, a, a case to be made that the reason of re- repetition is to just talk about the emphasis, the emphasis of, of God's holiness, the greatness, the, tremend- the immensity of God's holiness. Um, but I have our oldest boy, he's in middle school, Benjamin is in middle school, and he's learning how to play an instrument. How many of y'all were in band? I was in band. Um, I was in low brass. And uh, if you're in band, and you, or if you ever had to try to learn an instrument, what do you do? If you want to be good, what do you need to do? Practice. You practice. We ought to be practicing revering God's name. We ought to rehearse it. We ought to work at it in our life. We ought to we ought to uh, 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 condition ourselves. We should discipline ourselves. We should practice it in our life. I don't mean practice as in it's a, it's a practice. It should be something that is practiced. You understand? God's holiness and our view of him is holy. And our view of him is first. Everything about the heavenly host 
in, in Isaiah 6 is wrapped up in his holiness. And so that means all that we are should be wrapped up in his holiness as well. Number three. So number one, what is it? God's place is first. Number two, uh, God is a, a holy God. Number three, God's name means power. If you were wondering when we were going to get to the, the, the sermon title here, uh, the power in prayer, this is it. God's name means power. I'm not talking about a literal translation of his uh, Hebrew names. What I'm talking about is his identity, his character is rich in power. He is the most superlative in power. He has the most highest immensity. I don't know how to, I, I could use a lot of adjectives here. He has the most power. Can we just say that? He has all the power. In fact, Jesus said so in, in Matthew 28, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. So why don't you go tell people about me? That's what he's saying. What's in a name? Uh, how many of y'all know what the name Darren means? How many of you know what your name means? Melissa, what does your name mean? Honeybee, because she's so sweet. I won't tell you what Darren means, because I, I don't know that it's a very descriptive. Uh, but there's something to a name. Nowadays, when we pick names for our children, uh, when most people pick names for their children, they pick names that just kind of roll together really well, you know? Benjamin Michael Simpson. Jonathan Carter Simpson, Charlie Glenn Simpson. They sound good, right? I mean, I think they do. Names of my boys. But if we were to take some lessons from the, uh, the people of Israel, names to them really indicated character. How, how true of God this is, according to the psalmist, some trust in chariots, some trust in, and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's Psalm 20, verse 7. Why would, they, why would David write something like that? Well, God's name reveals aspects of his being. How many of y'all have ever heard of Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha? It's the God who heals. Or Jehovah Nisi, I'm probably mispronouncing that, it's okay. The Lord our banner, that's, that's someone, uh, when someone is tempted, they should call on God who will lead you through the temptation. Jehovah Shalom. Oh, what does Shalom mean? It doesn't mean just hello and goodbye. What does it mean? Peace. Peace to you. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. When you find yourself in difficult circumstances, when you find yourself facing cancer, when you find yourself facing the loss of a loved one, Jehovah Shalom, he is our God of peace. Or Jehovah Jireh. What does Jehovah Jireh mean? Somebody, nice and loud. The Lord will provide. When you find yourself in need, you can go to God. There is power in his name. There is power in his name. 
for whatever need you have in your life. There is a name of God that represents his character to what you need. There is power in his name. So when we, when we talk about prayer, when you might ask yourself, what use is it to pray? Well, let me tell you, if you don't believe that praying means anything, well, then you may not experience uh, the promises of prayer. But let me tell you, if you will trust God and you will give to yourself to prayer and you will depend upon God and not just you know, go to God and say, well, God, I'm really in this tough spot and I need help and I need direction and I need, some, I need you to just kind of show up and show off like you like to do and, and I need you to do that and I'm gonna lay this burden at your feet. If you do that and say amen and then you pick that burden up and take it with you, then you didn't trust God with it. I mean, I'm not saying you should forget that there's issues in your life or that there's a struggle, but what I'm saying is, is you should walk away knowing that you did the best thing you could and you gave it to him. And that he, will, he is a God who promises to hear the lips of his children, the prayers of his, of his saints, that he's saved with his own blood. You think he would, can you believe for a second that he would send his son to shed his blood for you on a cross and not listen to you? Our God listens to us. And when we go to him, he hears us. When we go to him, he puts all his wisdom and power to use. And yes, he's not a genie who's going to grant your every wish, but he's a God who knows what's best for you and has a grander scheme than just your comfort and your peace of, of your circumstances. He has a grander plan, a much more glorious plan, and that is to redeem the world to himself and for you to shine as a light in the world that you're in so that people will see you, see that you trust God, see you going through horrible things and difficult times and see you and go, man, something is different about this person. What is it? To the point where they'll go, I've been watching you just struggle and fight. And how is it that you're doing that? How is it that... You can still smile. Your life is so upside down. How, how is it that you can... I don't understand. When I went through this, it was the worst experience of my life. I almost didn't make it out alive. How are you doing this? And you can turn to them and say, Jesus Christ died for my sin. And no matter what happens to me, I will have peace forevermore. You can show them the strength that you have in him. God listens. And there's power in his name. Number four, God's holiness and God's power demands a personal response from you and me. I'm going to say that again. God's holiness and God's power demands a personal response from you and me. I think one of the personal responses we should have is to live up to God's holy name. I, I am blessed this morning that gathered here with me to worship the Lord, all the members of this church, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saints. We don't often, I don't often think of myself as a saint, but that's a pretty cool designation by God. And, and you're not a saint because you're so great and beautiful. I'm sorry. The reality is sometimes you stink and you need a shower. 
Sometimes you need to fix your hair, Benjamin. And sometimes you need to, you know, you, you've got to straighten up your attitudes and your behaviors in your life. But you're a saint because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, not only are you a saint, you're his child. And there's, there's something in a name, isn't there? My dad, when I was growing up, my, my dad, uh, when I was about nine or ten years old, my dad became the chief of police in Bedford, Texas. And Bedford's not a big, like, it's not like Dallas or Houston or something like that, but it's a, it's a, it's a nice suburb sandwiched right between Dallas and Fort Worth and between all these cities they call the mid-cities. It's probably the most mid of all the mid-cities. And, um, and you don't really go to Bedford for anything, but it's a really, it's a nice community. And, and my dad at that time in my life was a man who was a major player. He was the chief of police. He was a deacon at our church. He ended up later in his career becoming the, the chief of public safety. He ran the fire department and EMTs and also the police department, all under his own uh, administrative umbrella. I mean, he was a, he was a mover and a shaker. And, and so uh, when I was a boy and then when I became a teen and I would go with my friends, I'd say, hey, Dad, I want to go. Uh, we want to go to the movies or we want to go to the mall or whatever. My dad would often say, usually it was, I had to ask my mom, okay, because my dad would say no, but my mom would say yes. So I'd ask my mom and then my dad, you know, he'd have to get a parting shot and he'd say, well, you remember who you are, son. Now, I don't know if my dad really meant that, remember you're a Simpson, son, but it certainly left an impression it made me consider what might be the consequences of uh, me making some really bad decisions for my dad. I don't want to disgrace my dad. I love, I love my dad. As a teenager, we didn't always see eye to eye, but I, I still loved him. Remember who you are. A name also carries a legacy, doesn't it? And now, think about this. We talk about uh, uh, being saints. And, and by the blood of Christ being adopted into the family of God through the blood of Christ, we're not now only uh, uh, born of water and flesh here on earth, we're now born of blood and the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And we're born as children of a heavenly, holy, almighty, powerful Father. And we bear His name wherever we go. I think... One of the demands of his holiness and his power is that we live up to the holy name of God. Now, you can't do it on your own. You're not going to succeed at being holy and always doing the right thing on your own. But the fact is, as you and I bear the name of our heavenly Father, we bear his identity. We're Christians. We're saved by his grace. Therefore, everywhere we go and everything we do casts a reflection upon him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Uh, if you need help trying to figure out what this looks like in your life, I'll just give you a little bit of advice. Think of this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Write that down, and I encourage you to memorize it. Wherefore, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, there's a more uh, greater context to how this verse fits, but you know, if you just had that one bit, it'll save you a whole lot of trouble. If you, if you go out into the world and you face some kind of temptation, if you'll just filter that temptation through these words, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, 
do all to the glory of God, then that just tells you, if I can't do this to the glory of God, I better not do it. So when you unload the dishwasher men and you expect your wife to just lavish praise on you, man, what a wonderful guy. He unloaded the dishwasher while I was cleaning the whole house and doing all the laundry. Uh, If you expect that and you're going to grumble, you're not doing that to the glory of God and you better just button it up. You're supposed to laugh. That's supposed to be a funny example, okay? Um, If you can't do it to the glory of God, don't do it. We're to bear the name of Jesus, bear the name of our holy God. It ought to have a personal impact on our life. When someone does something to harm you and cause you anger, maybe you should repeat to yourself, hallowed be the name of God. You don't want to stain that bad witness with your anger. How many of y'all drive on I-10? You know, uh, everybody complains about the traffic in Houston. I will, I will confess something strange I never thought I would say. Houston, tra- Houston traffic really isn't that bad. It moves pretty good. The problem is it moves like the Indy 500. Or, or like everybody is running from the cops after they, you know, kidnapped the president's daughter. I mean, it's, it's crazy out there. But listen, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how somebody might almost run you off the road, no matter if they hit you with their car because they're being reckless, how would be the name of God. There's other examples I could share, but my last point, number five. First one, God's place is first. Oh, goodness. I'm done with that. Sorry. What am I doing? Technical difficulty. Yes, delete. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry. God's place is first. God is a holy God. God's name means power. That's number three. God's holiness and power demands a personal response. And I'm just going to tack the fifth one on and say this is our practical response. Just I want to share four things that you can do in order to hallow the name of God, not only in your prayer life, but in your life. Uh, we should not profane God's name with our mouth. I think that should go without saying, but I'm going to say it. We should not profane God's name with our mouth. We should not swear. We should not take his name in vain. We should always speak of him with great reverence. I'll let you work out what that looks like in your life, but I, I would encourage you to take an audit of your language and then set it straight and not profaning God's name with your mouth. Second uh, practical response, revere him as your father with acts of worship. We should worship him. I mean, if, he's, if he is first, if he is holy, if he has all power, if he's the one who is worthy of all honor and power, as described in Revelation 4, then we should be part of giving him that worship. Privately, at home, on your own, in your prayer life. We should be people of prayer. And that should, that should increase. I want that attitude to increase more and more in our church. I can't do it alone. Y'all are gonna have to get on board and, and we're gonna have to do this together. We should have some prayer, other types of prayer ministries than we've had before. Uh, but, but you should have a private time of worship towards the Lord. But you should also have a public time of worship. Guess what that means? Show up to church. This is your chance to publicly worship God. Be here. 
Be in, uh, be in the, uh, the church. Be here to worship together. This is something we should do corporately. I shouldn't have to say much more about that. The third thing, revere God and hallow his name when your beliefs concerning him are worthy of him. We should, we should consider him worthy and we should hallow his name, number four, by living a life that displays that he is our father. When you wake up in the morning and you kneel on your knees and you pray to the father and you, you, you honor him and then you make your requests, when you get up to walk away, I want you to hear, okay, and, and just hear, not my daddy, but hear our heavenly father say, Remember who you are. When you, when you open your back door or your front door and you go out to your car and you get in it to get onto I-10, you push the, push the button. I was going to say turn the key. Nobody turns keys in their car anymore. It's weird. Push the button on your car to start it up. You ought to remember. Hey, remember who you are. You're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. and He is worthy of all honor and glory. It should show up in our life. John 17. Jesus summarizes his most important goals in his earthly ministry in a prayer in John chapter 17. Verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And then verse 26, he says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus, one of his greatest goals in coming to have an earthly ministry here was for his disciples to receive God's word, to understand God's love, to understand their position in God's glorious plan. And then to follow Jesus as he declared it to the world. Of all the things that Christ accomplished, the most crucial was that he had put a face on the name of God. And so do you and me. Every time we say the right thing, something that would please God, we do the right things. When we maintain our integrity by apologizing when we mess up, and when we honor our commitment to hallow the name of God, I want to share one last quote. Um, how many of y'all have ever read Knowing God by J.I. Packer? Man, a tremendous book. 
J.I. Packer has a, a powerful quote in this vein, um, our attitude towards God. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase, if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, listen to this part. Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Church, what we're driving at is what kind of church are we going to be? It means what kind of members, each individual members are we going to be? We ought to be people who go to the book. We ought to be people who believe in him when he says he'll do something. And we ought to be people who reverence him as holy. You might be here this morning, and I've been talking about the saints and those of us who are adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ into God's holy family, heavenly family, facing eternal peace and contentment. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced that adoption. Well, uh, Churches are supposed to be adoption agencies. Showing lost people how they can be adopted into the family of God. Jesus came to pay for your sin. The reason why you're lost and without a Savior is because we're all that way from birth. We're lost. But Jesus came. He paid for your sin on the cross. And I'll just sum it up as simply as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Today, if you'd like to be adopted into the family of God, all it says, the Bible says very clearly in multiple places, you just have to believe in him. You're not going to be able to repeat a prayer or shake the preacher's hand give enough money to the church, do enough good things, attend every Sunday. All that stuff is just, it's vanity. It's a waste until you trust in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you need a Savior, if you need to be adopted, I encourage you, today is the day. Let's stand together.